Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. In this conversation, I am pleased to have Michelle Stravitz with us. Michelle shares her story with triple negative breast cancer and a wealth of information on the importance of exercise as a way of combating cancer-related fatigue, how to stay motivated to exercise, as well as allowing yourself to be patient with your body. Welcome to the conversation. My name is Michelle Stravitz. In 2000, June of 2015, I was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer. Things moved very quickly. So from the day I was diagnosed till the day I got my port was about a week. And the next day I started chemo. So with triple negative, we often start chemotherapy first. Um, I did about 20 weeks of intense and aggressive chemotherapy. I then had a lumpectomy, a large lumpectomy, I call it, and some oncoplasty. And when I recovered from that, I did radiation. So I had, you know, what we call the trifecta of treatment. Uh, I got the full package. And um, so I've been through a lot of different experiences with that. During that time, um, my oncologist um, was very clear with me. I am a rule follower and she set some rules out. I, you know, ate what she told me to do, eat, and I um, followed all of her instructions. And one of the really strong instructions she gave me was that the more I move, the less fatigued I will be. Um, and that was during chemotherapy. So I took what she said to heart. And whenever I could, I would walk, um, maybe take my dog for a walk. I had friends come over and walk with me. I am a yogi, so I used to try to go to some gentle yoga classes, all with, you know, modifications. Um, I couldn't go to my regular yoga class because I was worried about germs, but I found some yoga classes that were either almost empty or at a local life with cancer center. And what I found was that it really helped me get through the whole experience. Um, and that was true before and after surgery. I found um, some resources with videos of exercises, you know, to get that flexibility back after breast surgery. And that was really helpful to me. And then again, during radiation, I continued to keep my body moving so that I could deal with some of the tissue tightening and the discomfort and the fatigue that I was still battling. Um, so I had a full experience. I, I share the information about exercise because I found that to be really, really important. But what was unbelievable to me was that after I finished treatment, I started going to some seminars. You know, I went to a seminar on nutrition after cancer. I went to a seminar on emotional well-being after cancer. I went to a session on chemo brain because boy, oh boy, did I have a chemo brain. And all of these were either at my local support organization or at the hospital or um, places like that. And every single one of them told me to exercise. So whether you were battling chemo brain or you were battling fatigue after treatment or you're battling bone density issues because you've been through chemotherapy or you're battling tissue tightness because you had radiation or nerve issues because of my surgery, every single one of them, they talked about exercise. And at the time, I was doing some gentle exercise classes at my Life with Cancer Center, our local support center. 
And I went to the teacher one day and I said, do you have any idea how important what you're doing is? Because everyone, I, everything I'm learning says that it's really important to be moving and to incorporate physical activity. And I had no idea how important that would be for breast cancer survivors. So the more I looked into it, the more I learned how impactful physical activity is for women who have had breast cancer. So I'm going to throw a couple statistics at you that just astounded me and really mobilized me personally. One of them is that studies have shown that women who exercise regularly have 40% lower risk of recurrence and 40% better survival rates, you know, as much as 40%. Um, that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, when I was deciding on treatment approaches, you know, they gave me a few choices with my surgery and things like that. They were talking about the difference between, you know, 93% and 87% and think, and numbers like that. And to be able to influence my potential recurrence rate by 40%, to me, was just an enormous number and, and just meant so much to me. So it actually mobilized me. I, I, it caused me to incorporate exercise more regularly into my life. You know, before cancer, I was one of those people that exercise was like in and out of my life. Is yeah, I was I about to ask you actually, like how easy was it? Um, did you have a background? Like were you religiously exercising before you got diagnosed? Or is it, because I always wonder, like if you don't exercise regularly, how do we motivate and encourage people with a 40% chance of not having it recur? Like, yeah. I mean, that should be motivation enough. But again, um, you know, if that's not part of your habit, bringing it as part of your habit. Yeah. So that is kind of the million dollar question, right? How do we motivate people to do this? Um, so I'm going to answer that question in two parts. One, a little bit about myself, and then I can also talk about, you know, how we motivate people and how we change people's behaviors, because that's really um, something I've learned a lot about. So in terms of myself, again, I was one of those people where exercise, as I always say, was in and out of my life, meaning I was one of those people that has joined gyms during my lifetime, and I go really hard to them and really regularly for a little while and then it kind of tapers off you know life gets in the way I have four children I've raised them um, over a, quite a few years I've been a mom for about 25 years oh my gosh congratulations I had <laughs> no idea you had four children <laughs> that never yeah came I up have before. four children so they range wow. in age from age 17 to 25 um, but, you know, over those years, that was a busy time. And so I didn't always make the time for exercise for myself, although I can't say I was sitting around a lot. Mm -hmm. I can't say that it wasn't like um, formal, any kind of formal exercise. But as I um, have gone through the years, yoga has become something that's really important to me. And when I could get there, it really helped me get through a lot of a lot of things always made me feel better, always woke me up in the morning. So whenever I could do yoga, I did that. And other forms of exercise kind of came and went in my life. But um, once I learned how important physical activity is for me and my survival rate, uh, or you know the likelihood of survival, the likelihood of recurrence. I have absolutely made it a priority in my life, and it has to take precedence over other things because I I think of it as my way of improving my own outcome, and that can mean both you know cha maybe changing my statistics. Nothing's a guarantee, right? right I know I'm not course. guaranteeing anything, but 
particularly after you finish active treatment. So as I talked about, I had about nine months of this trifecta of pretty active and aggressive treatment. Triple negative is a very aggressive form of breast cancer, and I was treated very aggressively. After that, there was a little bit of um, a little bit more treatment where we were looking into other options. But in the meantime, I started entering that what I call that murky area of after treatment when you become mm -hmm. a survivor. I don't particularly like that word, but when you get go into that mode after treatment, is very it can be very difficult to navigate. Um, oh, absolutely called the emotional roller coaster of survivorship. And that exactly was how I felt. It's an emotional roller coaster. And often the emotions that you have to set aside to get into warrior mode during treatment yeah. kind of show up when treatment ends. And that's really hard to navigate. Um, 100%. And, lot, and no one warns you about that either. That's exactly right. A lot of our friends and family think, oh, good, she's done. We're all good. Let's move on. And we're just processing what we've just been through. Um, so during that time, I especially found exercise to be helpful. Yoga was really calming. It made me feel normal. I was still quite fatigued, and it helped me get through that. But it also gave me a way to take control. Yes. So in a time where you're no longer, you know, going to active treatment, you know, going to radiation every day for 30 days was something I was actively doing to go after my cancer. Once that all ended, exercise gave me a medium to feel like I had a way to take control. I had a way to take action to improve my own outcome. And I define improving our own outcome in a pretty wide um, definition it doesn't necessarily guarantee you survivorship. It doesn't actually guarantee you disease-free survivorship. It doesn't guarantee that, you know, um, you won't still have side effects, but it can improve your life after cancer. Oh, I'm writing that down. Improve your life after cancer. I think that's, <laughs> that's critical. Yeah. So and our outcomes are any um, any definition of what our life is like after cancer. Exactly. Now, oh, I don't even know where to begin. You have like so many good golden nuggets already in like the first like introduction of our conversation. <laughs> I love it, Michelle. Um, so this is really fascinating too, because you are our first guest on the show um, with triple negative breast cancer that I've had. So yep. welcome as a first. I love being like a new organization too, because there's so many firsts like every single day we're right. accomplishing something new. I myself right. am ER positive. And so it's actually this is a great conversation too because there's so much education we can do right there in terms of the gamut of you know we fall under this umbrella of breast cancer but within breast cancer there's so many different segments and that dictates um you know once you get your biopsy and your pathology report that really dictates the type of treatment you're going to have That's and right. you know going back to the, st the statistics you were mentioning and outcomes and survivorship and survivor rates um, you mentioned something that was really intriguing to me. So as someone with ER positive um, breast cancer, it's hormonal based. So after I've gone through the trifecta myself, I am now on hormonal therapies for the next 10 years. So I am actively every day taking medicine every day. So that's a really interesting mindset where you're with triple negative. Um, you're not, you're cancer is not responding to the hormonal therapies the way my body would. And so ex what, if, what I'm hearing is that this exercise is the 
the physical activity and the active response that you're meeting halfway to say, this is what I'm taking control of. I always, I've supported a number of other women who have had triple negative. And one of the things I always say to them is, you know, the good news is we don't have to take tamoxifen. The bad news is we don't get to take tamoxifen to prevent recurrence. So we have no active way of preventing recurrence medicinally. So, you know, once we're done with our chemotherapy, some people do take an oral chemo after the rest of their treatment. Some don't. It, you know, everyone's case is different. But after that, we have no 10-year um, plan for taking something that actively prevents our cancer. So for me, exercise was a way of feeling like I'm doing that. You know, when I'm at a class and I have to push myself just a little bit further, one of the things that really pushes me is saying, you know, cancer, you're not going to get me. So I, that gives me just a little bit more energy, you know, to do one more push, to do one more um, weight lift, whatever it is yes. that I'm doing, you know, one, one more step. Um, and it does kind of motivate me. It reminds me that this is my way of actively taking control. Oh my gosh, I'm like so motiv motivated just talking to you right now. Like, yeah. yes, it's something, and I try and reg uh, exercise regularly. The same thing, even on the hormonal therapies, um, my body was forced into medical menopause. So mm -hmm. I know we talked and touched upon it earlier, some of the side effects from chemotherapy or the hormonal therapies that we're on is bone density, bone loss, um, you know, the how easy it is to put on additional fat tissue, um, lose muscle mass, et cetera. And so um, I never thought about it your way to push myself even harder because of the survival rates and the benefits. Mm -hmm. um, but I've been working out just to counter what the hormonal therapies have been doing to my body. And pretty much I feel like an 80-year-old on the inside and I'm still in my 30s. And you're just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, I want to be around for another 50 years. <laughs> I totally understand. Um, when I was diagnosed, I was 48 when I was diagnosed. So I too was thrown uh, through chemotherapy. I was thrown, as mm -hmm. I say, thrown through menopause. Um, and when I was done with treatment, I was all done. So I hadn't started and I was all done by the time treatment mm -hmm. ended. So I too had that experience. And now we have concerns about bone density. We have concerns about muscle mass. We have concerns about memory, yes. um, other things. So they're all, if you look at what exercise can combat, those are all side effects that can be combated with different forms of exercise. Um, one of the, I, I was talking about the classes that I took when I moved into that post-treatment phase, and one of them was a nutrition class. So she talked about the kinds of foods we're supposed to be eating and, and so on, and here I am listening. And a statistic, another statistic that absolutely astounded me and also mobilized me was that in the in normal course of aging, a person will typically lose approximately four pounds of muscle mass in 10 years. Wow. And that's different for, for everyone, but the norm is to lose some muscle mass over every, you know, aging every 10 years. We can lose that same amount of muscle mass in six months of chemotherapy. So essentially what you're saying about feeling like I've aged in, after treatment is exactly right. There are elements of us that we do sort of age after treatment. And so we need to be eating healthy, but then exercising to build back, specifically build back that muscle mass. So when we talk about doing different types of exercise, that needs to include something that's sort of vigorous, that gets your, your moving and your heart rate up. 
Um, and it can be moderate. It doesn't, you can be walking briskly. You don't have to be running on a treadmill. I'm not really a runner, but you also need to be doing some sort of um, body uh, weight exercise that um, helps with bone density and helps to build muscle mass. Yeah. So you can use your own body weight, you can use other weights, but some sort of weight bearing exercise is also really important for us. That's so important. My, I remember talking to my oncologist at the end of treatment. So I'm kind of like, now what? I went from seeing him every week to every three months. I'm like, wait, what, what should I do during this time? And he literally, literally turned to me and said, work out vigorously. Use the, right. He used the word vigorously. I'm like, oh my God, like, what does that even mean? How do I, how do I work out vigorously? But it's to your exact point of getting your heart rate up, um, working up a sweat, um, I think walking is fantastic, but the brisk walking is the difference. And, you know, my nurse was mentioning to me too, she's like, that's great that you're going out and you're walking the dog and you're on the phone with your mom, but that's the conversation and that's leisurely. Like go out and like, can you carry a conversation? And are you catching your breath a little bit? This is like that threshold of um, like the leisurely walk versus the moderate to more vigorous um, right. activity. So right. I think that's really important to acknowledge as well. I'm so glad that your oncologist told you that. Um, it's really it's really great when the physicians tell their patients that they need to be exercising. It doesn't always happen. Um, and it's not for um, you know bad intention. I mean, the doctors have a lot to talk about with us. They have a limited amount of time. They have a lot they have to discuss um, about our health. And they don't always get to the point of encouraging us to exercise. I was lucky that my oncologist also told me to keep moving and that that would at least combat fatigue. She encouraged me to exercise. But that isn't always happening. And so getting that message out to women who have had breast cancer is really important. Um, one of the things that we find is that people really have, you know, over these years connected smoking with cancer. They know it's bad for you. They know it causes cancer. People connect exercise as being something that combats cardio health. Everyone knows that, you know, you need heart health and you need to exercise for heart health. People don't really make the connection between exercise and cancer. And the, the um, American Institute, Institute for Cancer Research has done some research and, and came out recently with a statement of 13 things that you can do to prevent your risk of cancer. And one of the big ones was exercise. So they've determined that exercise can, can lower your risk of 13 different types of cancers. It's not just breast cancer. And that awareness needs to be um, a little bit more widespread. People really need to hear the connection between exercise and cancer but particularly for breast cancer, that has been studied much more and the statistics are particularly high, as I said, that 40%. So that's really important. A little earlier, you asked me about how we change our behaviors. So for me personally, right, I had, a, I had my own personal history with exercise and I had my own personal um, information that I learned that motivated me to get moving. You know, some of those statistics, that 40%, that four pounds of muscle mass, those are the things that, if nothing else, dragged me out of bed in the morning or, or dragged me out of the house to get to a class. But not everybody um, hears that same information. Everyone has their own history or lack thereof with exercise. So one of the things I also want to share is that while there are very specific guidelines and um, numbers of minutes and types of exercise that are recommended, 
anything you do is better than nothing. So walking gently with your dog for 10 minutes a day still counts, um, even though it would be great to walk, to, to build up to a brisk walk. It's really good to just walk. So walking for 10 minutes counts. Taking the stairs at work or in your house, that counts. Um, walking a little bit farther away from a parking spot at the mall, that counts. Anytime you are moving, anytime you're incorporating some physical activity into your day, it all counts and it all adds up. There was an article in the New York Times not too long ago about how you can do your exercise each day two minutes at a time, and it is cumulative. It does all add up. So anything you can do to get moving, you got to start somewhere. So I always look at it as just like we get through our cancer treatment, one day at a time, one step at a time. Sometimes it's one hour at a time. You can get through um, starting, you can start exercising one step at a time. And you can do just a little bit at a time and that all counts and then you can build up. Um, you don't have to be going to the gym for 45 minutes a day for it to count and for you to be getting some benefit. That is um, so, I oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, 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 I was only going to say that there are specific numbers. I mean, the statistic, the uh, recommendation is 150 minutes a week of moderate to vigorous exercise. Those are the numbers that were used in a lot of those studies. They are actually the exact same recommendations for the general population. Mm -hmm. So if you look at what is recommended for the general population, it's going to be 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous exercise. But as I said, you got to start somewhere and everything counts. Yeah, I think that the the biggest takeaway I think from this conversation right now is to let people know that you got to start somewhere. Yeah. I think a lot of times too it can be sometimes discouraging. You're like, "Oh, if I can't get to the gym and like run a mile or work out and dedicate 45 minutes, then I'm going to do nothing at all." And right. it's hard to kind of get off the couch and know that there's an in-between and right. every little bit counts to use your words and it's part of that journey right you're not going to be able to run a marathon unless you're able to like take a step first so right. kind of being in it for the long game and the lifestyle changes that come with those behaviors one of the um, ways you can think about it is that the goal is to reduce your own sedentary behavior mm. so Yes. Just getting off the couch means you're reducing your own sedentary behavior. You know, years ago, they used to tell cancer patients to just lay around, take it easy, just get through it. You don't have to move, just rest, you know, go to chemo, get into bed, and you don't have to get out. And that's just not the case anymore. They're actually finding that it is so beneficial to get moving in any way you can. Um, in fact, there are studies being done in um, Australia where patients are going right from the oncology clinics, right from the infusion clinics to a gym, and they're doing 45 minutes of supervised exercise straight after their infusions. And they are finding that those patients are, um, you know, in the early innings of these studies, they're finding that those patients are tolerating treatment better. They are minimizing their side effects. They're having better efficacy of the treatment. So all of these are beginning to build a case for the fact that cancer patients and survivors just need to get moving in any way you can. So at home, you know, if you don't live in Australia and you're not part of that study, you can come home from your infusion and take a walk around the block. 
That's a way to get moving that same day. And a lot of us, I don't know about you, but I, I was given steroids the day I got my infusion. So we usually have a lot of yes. <laughs> that was a good day to get moving, right? Because the next day we might be a little more tired. Exactly. Oh, the steroids. I, I felt like superwoman. Like I was doing the dishes. I was cleaning the house. I was like, <laughs> go, go, go. And by the way, doing the dishes and cleaning the house is all ways of moving. Exactly. So, you know, I remember sitting in the infusion chair and some of the infusions, I know you referenced, could be like hours long, right? And I just remember sitting there hooked up to this machine, but the machine had wheels, right? Like we were allowed to get up and walk to the bathroom and come back. And I was like, why don't they just build a track? Like, can you just imagine yes. all of these people hooked up getting their chemo, but walking and moving around and just like not being in the sedentary chair for like half the day. What um, did I do? Exactly. Someday they may have that. Exactly. That may, next, that may be the next generation of infusion clinics. Yeah, I would love to pick your brain a little bit. I think for a lot of us, it sounds counterintuitive to get moving and exercise as a way of combating fatigue when you are so exhausted. How yes. um, do you, I would love to just pick your brain about that. Is like, do you have information on like the science behind that or how that works? And because it does, I'm. I feel the same way. There'll be four days in a row where I just feel very sluggish, very lethargic, unmotivated. And I'm like, you know, I just need to go to the gym. And I come back like a new woman. So yeah. <laughs> um, so to be honest, I'm not as good at the biology of this. Um, there are a lot of studies being done on the biology. What's, what's happened so far is there have been a number of studies that have basically just shown that this behavior tends to have a statistical significance okay. when you look down the road at recurrence rates and survival rates. Um, one of the other things I didn't mention is they're also having a statistical significance in terms of people dying from other causes. So cancer survivors dying from other causes, because remember that some of our chemotherapy treatments and other things can cause um, secondary conditions, right? So the chemotherapy on, that I was on could long-term have some impact on my heart. Um, so could the radiation. So that's another area where exercise can also combat some of those heart potential heart issues. And so um, I just I did want to mention that just to make sure that that's also a, a piece of information we have to be aware of. But um, when you're talking about fatigue, um, I, do, I think there's a combination of things. I think anybody who tries it and gets moving knows that there's an adrenaline rush you get from, from exercising and you usually feel more energetic, not less. And that was true before cancer. It's true after cancer. Any day that I exercise, I have more energy and I'm less likely to be tired at night, actually. My muscles might be tired, right. but overall, in my head, I feel less fatigued. I also think that it has something to do with the impact that exercise has on our emotional well-being. It's also been studied quite a bit, and there's a lot of research that shows that exercise is very effective at combating anxiety and depression. And boy, oh boy, is anxiety and depression prevalent among people who have had cancer. We have, to be fair, plenty to be anxious about as we um, you know, get into that watch mode, right? So true. So, Anxiety is very common and very understandable for um, anyone who's had cancer, particularly women who have had breast cancer and were watching and waiting. Um, in addition, as we talked about, that after treatment phase can often lead to a depressed state because your emotions are kicking in and you don't necessarily have in your friends and family circle an awareness of how much support you need at that time. So often people feel isolated, they feel not well understood because they're still experiencing all of that sort of post-trauma post yes. from the diagnosis and the treatment 
treatment they've been through, and everyone else is ready, as, as they say, to wrap up cancer with a ribbon and put it on the shelf. Exactly. Um, so depression is also prevalent. And those things, anxiety and depression, can also make us feel fatigued. You know, I was talking, when I talk about fatigue, I'm talking about what they call cancer-related fatigue. And that can mean anything from um, chemo-induced fatigue to emotionally induced fatigue and everything in between. So I think that the impact that exercise has on our emotional well-being also impacts our, our fatigue levels. Yeah, um, I've heard that all- too. I think we always associate, um, you know, I think we hear commonly you start exercising and that releases the endorphins, right? I think that's um, something we're pretty comfortable with. And then, you know, to compare that with the anxiety and the depression that we're going through as well, it's just, it's a no-brainer. That's right. We also know, um, again, from a lot of research that often when people are exercising or incorporating physical activity as a priority in their life, they tend to eat healthier. So that can also impact our fatigue levels, right? If you are motivated to eat healthier, you are more likely to feel better. Um, And that makes a difference too. These things all help each other. It's like they're all interrelated. Um, this morning, for example, like I woke up and I'm like, oh, I made it to the weekend. It's Saturday. I kind of want a big breakfast. Should I go out for brunch? Um, and then I'm thinking that's not going to set up my day properly. Like I would rather have a fresh fruit smoothie, throw in like my spinach, my kale, the bananas, all the fruits, the almond milk, the ice cubes, etc., and blend and just know that I'm fueling my body very healthy. And that behavior alone is going to you know, give me the energy then. I know we were talking about like doing our yoga classes in the morning and then, you know, now getting into business. And so we having that priority set is like, if you do it first thing in the morning, you're for me personally, I'm more likely to make better choices throughout my day. I think the term you used earlier is what's really important. When you think of eating as a form of fueling yourself, um, that in and of itself leads you to eat things that are going to be healthier and give you energy and help your body heal. Um, so when you are exercising and you think of the, f- the food and nutrition as fueling that um, or helping you to build back that muscle, helping you to build back that bone density, you're eating the things that will help promote that. Um, so, if, so I think the term fueling yourself is a great way to look at eating opposed to consoling yourself or um, filling yourself, right? I think that the important thing to motivate and to, to get yourself to exercise is to find what works for you. So each one of us is different in what works for us. So for you, resistance bands might work really well. Some bells might work really well. There are all kinds of ways out there to exercise and there is no one right way to do it that works for everyone. So the most important, the best exercise for you is the exercise that you will keep doing. So if walking is what's going to work for you, running's going to work for you, lifting weights, going to bar class, going to yoga, biking, swimming, and I could go on and on. There are so many different ways. You know, there's um, all kinds of rowing programs, particularly for breast cancer survivors, because um, it's both communal as well as a lot of upper body motion, which is really important for us. Again, the most important thing is what works for you. And I think you also mentioned earlier something that's very important and we touched on um, another time in our conversation, which is that you have to start somewhere and you have to start with baby steps. So when you were talking about the lighter resistance band, I too uh, started one of the ways that I do a weight 
weight-bearing exercise is I do bar classes, and that's A-R-R-E. Um, it's a type of exercise that's at a bar, and um, we do some things with upper body small weights, and we do some things with just our body weight on our legs. We use resistance bands. There's a lot of different ways people teach bar classes. But in the upper body, I remember that when I was, you know, shortly after treatment, and I was just beginning to get back into it, I was doing those upper body exercises with no weight in my hand. The all I it was all I could do to do the exercise with the weight of my own arms. And particularly my left side, which is where I had my cancer and my surgery and my radiation, there was nothing left in that arm. So it took me a while and I had to build up from nothing, you know, and I just had to be patient. One of the expressions I use with women all the time is be patient with your body because it does take time to build back, but it does come back. So I started with nothing in my hands. I went to two pounds, then three pounds, and I built up, you know, from there. So we do have to start somewhere. We do have to be patient with our bodies. The important thing is that we show up and we try. Thank you, Michelle, for joining us today and sharing not only your personal experience with breast cancer, but motivating us to get moving. I'm glad you will be joining us later this week for part two of our conversation, where we take a close look at how your diagnosis has led you to launch Two Unstoppable. That's the number two, Unstoppable, an online resource for those who have been diagnosed with any type of cancer, where they can pair up with a buddy to stay motivated and accountable. Thank you for tuning in and listening to our show. I would like to acknowledge that all of the information on our podcast are from personal experiences and are not a substitute for professional medical advice. You should always consult with your medical care team. I would also like to give a huge thank you to our executive producer, Braden Germain, for making this show a reality. Be sure to follow us on social media. Details can be found at our website on survivingbreastcancer.org. If you are looking for specific topics or would like to be a guest on our show, you can always contact me at laura at survivingbreastcancer.org. Until next time, keep on thriving.